It's great to, uh, great to see you tonight. Um, my name is Jonathan. I am the, uh, the campus pastor with RUF. We're a, we're a Christian group on, minis- uh, on campus, so um, that means that we believe in uh, kind of the historic claims of Christianity, the hor- historic claims of the Bible, um, which means we think that the Bible actually has something to say to our lives, even in the midst of all of the chaos that's been your semester, that's been your year. Mysteriously, God speaks to us um, through his word. And so what we do is we sing about that, uh, and then we come and we look at a piece of the Bible, and we try to discern, does this matter? And if so, how does it apply to your and my life? And uh, so what we're going to do is we've been working through a series this semester on uh, what I'm calling it the heart of the king, which is how is the heart of Jesus disposed towards you and me? What is the heart of the king? And um, so we're going to press on with our study tonight. Before we do that, um, I just want to push Western Conference one more time. Next week is the deadline. I've texted a bunch of you. I'm going to keep texting you until I get a hard no. Like when you block me, that's when I quit. So um, I really would love to see each and every one of you come to California. It's a blast. Um, it's a lot of relaxation and fun. I know some of you are like, oh man, a Christian conference, they're going to make me do all this memorizing and nonstop lectures. No, there's a little bit of lecture, no memorizing, and a lot of playtime. So um, I would love to see each of you come. We say this all the time, don't let money be why you don't come. We can scholarship you. We can make the, the money thing happen. Um, so again, deadline is next week. I know NMSU students hate deadlines and you wreck me by waiting till like literally, some of you fools will sign up at 11.59 and I hate you for it, but you will do it. Please don't be that one because it'll be your neighbor. All right, so we are going to press on tonight with our study for the heart of the king and uh, we're gonna press in and ask, who is Jesus? Why does he matter, and how does he dispose towards you and me? And uh, tonight we're actually going to dig into some fun stuff, some stuff that actually the guy's Bible study had dinged off of a couple of weeks ago. So um, get, get your questions ready for that. Oh, yeah, uh, as I'm talking tonight, if you have questions or pushback or something, my phone number is on your piece of paper. Shoot me a text, and I will respond with those. I can't say I'll, I'll answer it, but I will at least respond, and we can maybe start a dialogue about that. Um, so tonight, what are we going to see? We're going to see... The good news of Jesus welcoming love to the least performing. The good news of Jesus welcoming love to the least performing. So um, get your phones ready. Get your text in front of you. I'm going to read two passages, and then we're going to look at these. They're very similar. This is God's word. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And skipping over to chapter 19. Then children were brought to him and he le- that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, saying, But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. I'm going to pray and then we will look at this. Uh, Lord in heaven, thank you for gathering us here tonight. We know that we are not here by accident, but by some mysterious will and hand you have brought each of us from around the country, around the state to New Mexico State, and then around campus to this place tonight. 
And so we trust that you who brought us here will be faithful to minister and care for each of us uniquely here. We pray as we study your word that it would be sweet to us, that it would challenge us, and that we would leave better able to love our Savior and love our neighbors. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So uh, how many of you guys have heard of a Potemkin village? Anyone? A Potemkin village? All right, so Potemkin village is uh, it's named after this uh, Austrian-Russian guy who wanted to basically improve, impress uh, the queen of Catherine the Great in Russia. But he was like basically trying to say like, hey, our country's doing great when it really wasn't doing great. So he built basically a fake village right on the edge of the border of, of his country so that when the other nation would look across, they'd be like, man, they're doing all right. They're doing pretty good for themselves. And uh, this has been done for a lot. And during the Cold War, the USSR would build literal cities right on the border of uh, the West. And they would try and show, like, look how prosperous these cities are. They're flourishing economically. They're places of, you know, of great of happiness and joy. And it's great over here, basically. Everyone's saying it's great over here. When in reality, <laughs> it's fake, empty, dying, and a terrible place to live. And so basically, a and these things still happen today, like... Uh, Companies will do this to try and boost their stock numbers. They'll try and like fake workers when there's board meetings or something like that. So a Potemkin village is like a phrase that means to put up a front that says everything's fine, to perform as if everything's fine, and to basically fake it till you make it. And uh, I, was, I was reading about this actually happening overseas, and I was like, man, isn't that week 10 of the semester? <laughs> like week 10, you're like, there is too much semester left to kind of coast it out, but not enough energy left to like keep the pedal down. And that's what it feels like, like right now. And, and uh, I know that's how I feel. I know how that's you feel because I talk with students. And so everybody, we just kind of throw up this facade of like, everything's fine, we're doing all right. When inside we're all just like, I'm gonna die. My performance is going to suffer. And, uh, and, and, you know, in, in the midst of all of that, I think we're, we're trying to desperately ask and prove to ourselves and prove to everyone else, like, am I good enough? Even am I great? <laughs> am I good enough? Am I great? Is this a great city? Am I a great student? Am I a great worker? We're all trying to ask and answer the question, do I have what it takes to finish this semester, to finish my degree? And, and all of us do that. And, and why is that? Because our world values and honors the capable people, right? Our world values and honors the capable people, the rich people, the smart people, the self-made woman or man, the person who is rags to riches. Maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe you're not that way. Maybe you, you value the social activist. Maybe you, you value the person who's the most woke. Maybe uh, the person who's most religious. Um, and it's not just in those spheres. Like in athletics, the best players get to start, right? The ones who are the most capable, they're the starters. Um, the best students get to be the teacher's assistants. And so you ask ourselves, who are our models? Who are the, it's the people who are the most capable, the best at their gig, the strongest, the sexiest, the richest, the smartest, the most moral. We pay them the most. We give them the most followers. We give them the most likes. We vote for them, even regardless of their character. And what's interesting is Jesus' followers can tend to be the exact same way. Even Jesus' own disciples, the people closest to him, 
Look what they say in, verse eight, in chapter 18. Right at the beginning, they fall right back into this. They say, hey, um, who's the greatest? Who performs the best? Who's got what it takes to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And right then and there, there and that, that, that unpeels a layer of something that's going on constantly in my heart and something that's going on in your heart which is that we are all desperately, we're all part of this world system that honors the person who attains greatness. We honors the, the world honors the person that attains greatness. And that's because it's built into the human heart to earn, to prove, to work for respect and greatness and value, and even to love. And, and each one of you is the same way, built into who you are, is some mechanism, some combination of I have to earn my greatness. That's our heart. That's how our society works. Be the greatest. And, and, and even, even religious people who, who say, oh man, I'm just nothing but a sinner. Even we can be the same way. There's a careful warning because look, it's Jesus' own followers who are asking this question. That's if we were to apply that today, the people in this room asking, hey, Jesus, um, which one of us in RUF is the greatest? Which one of us is the most moral? Which one of us is the most charitable? Which one of us is the best singer? How, how, how do I stack up against these others? It's a rut that religious people can fall into to basically evaluate ourselves based on our merit. To say... That one's greatness, one's value, depends on one's performance. And as soon as we start to do this, we begin to evaluate ourselves and evaluate others based on their performance. And then we can begin to exclude and say, ah, children, no. They don't perform well. <laughs> children don't have what it takes. They are not great performers. Jesus, you don't need to be around them. Ah, they're not worth the time. And we do the same thing. We look at someone and say, they're not up to snuff they don't count. They're not, they're not like me. They don't perform. They're not the greatest like me. And say, oh, Jesus, this little child, he can't do great things for you. This, this friend, they're not material. They just don't have what it takes. And look what Jesus says. Jesus, he, they, they actually, they, well, first of all, look, they do this twice in two chapters. <laughs> they twice come to him and say, hey, um, the, 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 the little child, they don't have what it takes. They're not the greatest. And Jesus, they even rebuke someone for saying, hey, no, 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 no. The teacher doesn't have time. He's got bigger things. He's got bigger things on his mind than, than those, these underperformers. So it's a problem for religious people. But you know what? It's also a problem for irreligious people. Some of you in here is like, eh, this isn't me. I don't know if this... But look, everybody, even non-religious people, we base and evaluate ourselves based on our performance, right? We say in your work or in your academics, your GPA, your internship, you say, this is where I measure up with my classmates, with my peers, with my sorority or fraternity, with my, you know, this is where, I, and we do this with our sexual appeal. We do this with our social media presence, with our social activism on the right or on the left. What's going on here is that the text, Matthew is showing us that deep in the heart of each and every person is this motor that says, my greatness depends on my performance. And if I or if others can't measure up to the standard, then they don't matter. Then I don't matter. 
All of us are trying to earn and prove and perform our way into greatness. And into this system of anxiety and pressure and performing, Jesus steps in and begins to turn everything upside down. And this is where we begin to see the sweet heart of the king. Look how Jesus responds in both cases. Look what he says in chapter 18. He says, truly I say, he calls a little child and he puts it in their midst and says, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 19, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. He says similar things, not identical. But in both cases, Jesus stops his, stops his disciples and says, wait, wait. Your priority, your evaluation metric is upside down. The people who are the least performing, the people who are the least capable, those are the ones that I welcome into my midst. So what is he, in, in a world where greatness is depending on performance, Jesus welcomes the incapable and the underperforming. Jesus welcomes literally and spiritually the little children. So first, Jesus welcomes and blesses the little children literally. In both examples, Jesus brings children into his presence. And these are, the, the word there is like very small children. Someone who's less than 12, but probably even younger. Like, and, and even the language is, they were brought. They can't even come to them, come themselves. They were brought to him. Or he brings them in. These are very small children. And not only does he bring them in, he touches them. Which when Jesus touches someone, it's always a sign of his affection, of his intimacy, of his blessing, and of his healing. That's what he, he, he comes in very close. He prays for them. Can you imagine Jesus in all of his busyness, all these people vying for his attention? He stops, and it's probably pretty awkward. Everyone's like, oh, Jesus is praying for this child right here. What do we do with that? And Jesus is like, nope, I'm praying for this child. That's what's happening right now. And so there's a subtle critique of the disciples, but there's also a, pretty, there's a critique of us that the disciples are thinking, hey, those who are going to be the greatest in God's kingdom are those who perform well. And Jesus says, ah, ah, ah. Those who are the least capable, those who think they are least worthy, those who are least worthy, those are the ones whom I love, welcome, nurture, care, and bless. In God's evaluation, Jesus says, the children, the small children are the greatest. And these children, because they're human, we know they're sinners. There's nothing, there's not like some special spiritual innocence. No, they're sinners. They're sinners as much as you and I are. And yet Jesus receives them and welcomes them and says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Even though they have made no profession of faith, Jesus hasn't said, hey, come follow me, and they follow him. No, he just says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing in here about the child saying, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. He just says, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. They don't have a long pedigree or list of places where they've obeyed Jesus. They don't have any performance spiritually or academically or intellectually or socially. In fact, children were considered pretty much worthless on the scale of dogs in the society back then. It was a true society of children speak when spoken to, they do labor. Then when they turn 13, then they can come into society. But uh -uh, until then, don't pay them attention. And to these, Jesus lays his hand and welcomes him. But, but look, he goes even further. 
He says, unless you become like children, you have no part in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven. And as I meditated on that this week, I saw, and I hope you see, a devastating critique of our evaluation and performance metrics, of how we assign greatness and value in our minds, in our hearts, and in our society. Jesus says here that performance and even human understanding of greatness do not matter in the kingdom of God. He says, look what he says. He says, unless you turn, unless you turn from your old habits, your old patterns of who's greatest and who measures up, and unless you become to have a childlike faith, he says, the kingdom is not yours. And so here's another facet as we've studied the last semester, the heart of the king. And this is what's so sweet for you and me is that Jesus doesn't expect great things from you. He doesn't demand great things of you. He's not sitting down up in heaven saying, hey, when you finish dealing with that sin problem, then we can talk. Or when you quit dealing with this emotional or this uh, mental health issue, then, we can, then you can maybe... No, Jesus just says, those who are the most needy, the most aware of their brokenness, those are the ones that Jesus welcomes. And so there's an application here that I need to hear, that you need to hear, that Jesus does not demand Jeff Bezos' level of money. He doesn't demand the respect that we all try to earn. Or the, uh, he's not, he, he just says, become like a child. That's the mode of initiation into my kingdom, into what I'm doing to restore and redeem your life, your world, your family, this earth. And I, and I reflect, how, how much of a relief is to that when we start looking at our GPA, we start looking at our bank account this time of the semester and start going, I don't know if this is going to work out. That the most significant person in the universe says, it doesn't really matter, I love you. Your performance, all the other metrics of you measuring up, they're not the ones that are significant. And, and, how, and so much of my anxiety comes from the pressure that I put on myself or I allow others to put on myself that my joy, my relationships is to do great things. I was like, oh, I got to do great things for NMSU as a pastor. You feel that. Oh, I got to be the next great nurse. I got to be the great next fill in the blank. And Jesus says, I don't expect, I don't demand just be like a small child and come receive the blessing. This means that according to Jesus, the dependent, the unable, the helpless, the passive, and the weak are the most real citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the children. And the sweet good news to this is because how many times do I feel dependent, weak, unable, helpless, passive? And Jesus is saying here, hey, it's okay. Lay down the Potemkin Village performance that we're all trying to do and just come like a little child. And so there's a call to repent here unless you turn from your old performance metrics and become like a child. Turn from our attempts to earn and prove our self-worth in front of ourselves, in front of our peers, our professors, our family, and say, Jesus, yours is the only one that matters and it's so sweet. So children then here become an object lesson for the kind of humility and the kind of faith that Jesus values and accepts. And so, so Jesus says, become like a little child. What does that mean? 
What does it mean? Well, I'm looking for babysitters. So if anyone wants to come study what it means to look like a little child, I got options. Um, so you can come study. But as I've studied my little girl, and I've studied little child, a few things about what does it mean to become like a little child. First, um, little kids don't do much in terms of productivity. <laughs> you ever seen a child do anything productive? Nope. They don't get much done. You look at their to-do list or at the beginning of the day or their have-done list at the end of the day, it's real short. And how different is that from me, from you, who are like, I got to get this, 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 and now I hate myself. <laughs> Little children just say, I'm just going to play today. I'm just going to show up. I'm gonna, Phoebe just goes to school and says, I'm going to just show up. I'm going to play, and then I'm going to go home, and I'm going to nap. My daughter gives literally nothing of marketable value to society. Her drawings are worthless economically. <laughs> she, uh, you know, so, so she doesn't do much. And yet, something in that is significant, Jesus says. Now, this is not an excuse for you to go and numb yourself on Netflix. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But what it is saying is that the frantic drive to earn, produce, prove, be great is a misplaced motive. And this means that our value and our greatness is not linked to our productivity. And becoming like a child means learning to untether your value from your productivity. Second, children have a simple kind of humility. My daughter is not concerned that her drawings are worthless. She's going to make another one, and it's going to be just as worthless. And she doesn't care. She's just like, I like drawing. That's what I do. Children are truly humble because at their best, and trust me, they can be hellions, but at their best, they don't think less of themselves, they just think of themselves less, which is what true humility is. She doesn't think, oh, I'm worthless, who can I be? She's just like, ah, I'm just not thinking about myself, I'm just going to go draw. I'm just going to go make some soup out of a plastic piece of broccoli. Like, that's all, that's what she does. Like, so it's just... She doesn't have negative self-esteem. She just has this simple, like, I don't think about myself too much. And that's a simple humility that Jesus commends and welcomes. Next, children are intuitively trusting. They trust adults. Just today when I was dropping my daughter off at school, some little boy who I had never met before, we're walking to school, he just goes, hi! I've never seen this kid before, and I was like, hey! And he's just like, don't know who you are, but hey! He... He doesn't know me from Adam, and yet he's just like, I trust you enough to say hi. You're, I can be present with you relationally, emotionally, and that they have, tr they, they, they have trust for their parents, they have trust for their peers. And yes, that gets broken by trauma and abuse, but most children are inclined to trust, and that faith, that childlike trust, that's something that Jesus honors, that's something that Jesus values, is to give our Heavenly Father the benefit of the doubt, that He loves us, that He cares for us. Finally, and this is the most significant, is that children's 